Luke chapter 1, verse 38. If you've got your Bibles with you, Christmas is upon us. Luke chapter 1, verse 38. To set the scene, Mary has been, uh, an angel has appeared. And by the way, if you're back then, that's just as weird as it is today. Like that's the, because I promise you right now, if I see Bigfoot, I ain't telling any of you. Unless I've got it on video or something. Because I can't, you're never going to believe me. You're going to think I'm crazy. And there was no different. It wasn't like angels just walked around and showed up. So she, an angel is appearing to her and she's got to figure out, A, is this real? B, I ain't telling anybody this happened. They're going to think I'm crazy. But then he goes to say, well, they're going to kind of know. Uh, they're going to figure it out because you're going to get pregnant. And she says, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left. If you're King James, I think it says, be it unto me according uh, to your word. Father, um, I pray that that becomes our prayer this morning. That before we leave here today, that it would be unto us according to your word. Pray that the, uh, the entrance of your word will bring light to us and change us and mold us and transform us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. How many teenagers in here? Quite a few, right? Okay, tell me, tell me if this is, this is a scenario that unfolds at your house. You want to do something so bad and you are begging your parents. You're not just saying... Dad, can I do this? And then yes or no. It's like, please, please, can I do this? Ashley's pretty good, actually, the more I think about it. She's more subtle. Lauren will just flat out get on her legs and shamelessly beg. Please, please, God. Now, here's the thing. If you're, just, if you're kids, I'm just going to give you a little clue to your parents' hearts here. If all of you happen to agree on one thing and want to do it all at the same time, I'm in. Like, everybody agreed on something? Like, which I think is part of the power of the prayer of agreement when he talks about the prayer of agreement. I think it's just very simple that, Lord, these Christians are getting along and agreeing on something. I'm in. <laughs> Whatever you guys are agreeing on, I'm, I'm there. But there's the great anticipation of something that you want so bad. And when I was a kid, it was a Sony Walkman. Now, you may not know this, but there used to be things that were about this big in circumference, like the, you know, it was a block. It was like a block of cheese that played music. <laughs> but not like regular little craft, like the expensive one from the grocery store, like the government cheese-sized block, you know, like, and that's all I wanted. <laughs> it was a Walkman. So I begged my parents, and, and finally Christmas morning rolled around, and and I, I got uh, not a, the Sony Walkman, I got the Sanyo ripoff version of it. <laughs> Which, parenthetically, still played music. And I still got the, the thing that was right for me. But my prayer depended not on God answering it, but on someone else answering that 
prayer. Like, you can beg God, but God, if we're the hands and feet of Jesus, I don't know if you know this or not, but you and I are walking around as answered prayers to people. And as much as it's easy to think for God, you know, how are you going to answer our prayer? This moment for Mary was not, is God going to answer her prayer, but is Mary going to answer his request? Because she could have said no. Like, she could have said no. You like that? (laughs) Credit to Mo Tiemann for that, by the way. (laughs) The Bible speaks of this great host of heaven, the uh, cloud of witnesses that looks over on us. It's Hebrews chapter 11. It speaks of all these great saints that had gone before and they're watching almost like an arena as best I can tell and they're watching in there with us and, they're, and it's still happening. But at that moment, you wonder if that great host of heaven, if Moses, if Abraham, if David, if Solomon, were they all looking and wondering and leaning over and cupping their ears and Mary, did you know or yes? Like what? Because this was an important moment in time and the stakes were ginormous. You see, Mary being called to do this, she was the only one. There wasn't anybody standing in line behind her. And I know this because if you look back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, theologians call this the proto-evangelicum. That's just smart people talk for the first time the gospel is mentioned. When God says that her seed will crush your head. Her seed, the female biological lesson, a little biology lesson here, dog. The, the seed, the man has the seed, the woman does not have the seed. It was the prophecy of a virgin birth, narrowing the path for the gospel to come down to. Now we've narrowed it down to 50% of the population. She's a woman, so she's within that rounds. But he didn't just narrow it to marry into the 50%. He narrowed it to a guy named Abraham. He said, it'll be through your seed that I will bless these nations. He said, he gives Abraham a piece of land. I just visited it. He's not taking his word back, by the way. But then he narrows it not just to Abraham, but he says, hey, not just Abraham, but I'm going to say I'm going to take it through Jacob, not Esau. So it's coming now not just from a a place, not just from a a person, but through a specific bloodline, not just a type of person. It's females. It's through the blood of Abraham and not just through Abraham but through Jacob that it would come through who would become Israel and not just through Jacob in Israel. He had 12 options but through that it would be Judah. And from Judah it comes down to David. Do you see where this has gone? <laughs> He's narrowed it down to a specific bloodline and not just to a bloodline but Matthew tells us to a specific place. Nazareth. He will be from Nazareth. He will be born in Bethlehem but from Nazareth. That's important because if you're looking at maybe the theologians of old would wonder, well, what, what on earth? How could that po- be possible? But God used an evil and a wicked king to get across his call for a census. And then my point being, if you're worried about our president-elect, don't worry because God's got the heart of the king in the hand of the Lord. He'll figure it out with or without him or her. But he said it would be from Nazareth. 
Nazareth at that time would have been a town of about 400 people. 400. Have you been, have you, any of you raised in small towns? John Mellencamp style, you know what I'm saying? You've got a town of 400 people. What do we know about a town of 400 people? Everybody knows everything about everyone, right? But in that small town, what we know is that that's not 400 people. That doesn't mean there's 400, there's 200 women, 200 men. That means there's probably, like if you're on our church on any given Sunday, if there's 350 people, like 200 of them are children, right? Like it's in a town that, so we're narrowing it down to probably about 150 to 200 people, half of which would be female, about 100 people, but not just narrow down to that, but narrow down to somebody in that 100 people that would be from the bloodline of Christ, that would be a female. And if you've read the uh, genealogies, you know that Matthew and Luke, when you get to David, they both take a turn in the family tree, don't they? Because one of them goes through Nathan, which is a son of David. The other one goes through Solomon, both of them children of Bathsheba. One of them is Joseph's side. One of them is Mary's side. Both of them trace back to David, back to Abraham, back to Adam. The bloodline of Christ was narrowed not just to somebody who would be a female, who would be from Nazareth, who was from the tribe of Judah, but specifically someone living in that little town who would also on both sides. So she needed, it needed to be a he or a she. She needed to be a virgin. She couldn't be married. And it needed to be someone on both sides that could be proven. And I got to tell you, in a town of that size, the chances of a man and a woman to both be from the same bloodline it had to be her, and she could have said no, and she didn't. But don't you know, like cupping their ears, the moment of truth, sitting on the edge of their seat in heaven, Mary, did you yes or did you no? The implications were ginormous. I mean, who could have blamed her for saying no? Think about what she was saying yes to. Joseph, this, the man of her dreams, her dreamboat guy. On the front end of this, he's going to leave. That's what, that's what you would believe. Who's going to believe? Oh, the, whole, the, holy, the Holy Spirit did it. You think that? You know, I'm going to buy that one? Not just the, the, the fact that Joseph could leave her, but her reputation would be muddied and mired. It's a small town and everybody was going to know. There's even allusions in the New Testament that that was part of Jesus' story, that he didn't have a real father. His, his, he was a bastard child. But remember when Jesus, when there was a woman caught in adultery, you remember when they drug her to Jesus and they said, you know what the law says? The law says we need to stone and kill her. She was risking everything for him. And she said, be it unto me according to your word. She said yes. And as I was thinking about that and praying about it this morning and the week of like, wow, the, the moment that it hit me that she could think of the, the implications of history had come to this moment. There were some say 400 prophecies throughout the Old Testament that all succinctly and perfectly would come true in Christ in a chain with 400 links. If only one link breaks, the chain is broken. I mean, she could have negotiated, hey, look, God, I'll do this, but it's going to be with Joseph, and you can have that son. Isn't that what Abraham did with Ishmael? And they would pray, oh, God, that Ishmael would be the one. And God said, no, I'm, not, I'm going to do something nice for Ishmael, and it's going to be, but it's not the way that I wanted and not what I chose. It needed to be this way. She said, be it unto me according to your word. And I was 
I don't know, I was thinking about that, and th- there's some things that I'm looking at and learning that when Mary said yes, as this teenage girl from the, you know, the early 2,000 years ago said yes, Abraham, I need more clarification, I need negotiation. Moses flat out said, look, I, I can't do this. Jonah said, no way. Judas said no. Peter said no, right outside of Jesus being held in a prison. Peter said no. Judas said no. Remember Demas? Of course you don't. (laughs) You know, there's the who's who of the Bible, then there's the who's that. Demas was a who's that. Demas is tucked into 2 Timothy chapter 4, this passage that speaks of this guide. Paul is saying, hey, Luke is with me. Send for John Mark. I'm I'm alone. Even Demas has left me because he loved this world. Demas said no. Who could have blamed Mary for saying no, but she said yes, and because of that, the prayers of millions of saints throughout the ages were answered in one yes. And I believe that from us, in in just the few minutes that we have here, and and in a moment, we're going to engage in a little bit more worship and communion. I want you to make room for Jesus this morning. Make room at your inn, if you will, for Jesus but I wanted to talk just for a few minutes about this and then turn it over to you and to the Holy Spirit and the work in his life. But when, when I look at what happened with Mary, I take with me a lesson that, that there was something that if she didn't do it, it didn't get done. And I truly and I believe with all my heart that there are things that God has called, created, crafted, he has begat you to do that if you don't do it, there's nobody standing in line behind you. The implications are gigantic. And I think that when I say that your heritage, he wired it all together. Like for me, it was Eurastus begat Jesse, Jesse begat Dale, Dale begat Lois, and Lois begat Darren. And in that, that's all I know, I don't have Ancestry.com. But in that side of my family, what I, I found there were things that happened in my life and things that occurred to me as a child and some good, some seemingly bad that God used to create me to be an answer to somebody's prayer that I uniquely and alone can do because he begat me in a specific way and he begat you in a specific way. Just uh, this last week when I got back from Israel, I was, uh, it's that time of the year where I get mad at AT&T. And I'm like, oh, it's so expensive. It's so dumb cell phone service. And so, uh, and every year I think, well, I, but it's, I'm stuck with it. I, you know, but this year for some reason I'm, I'm going to the Verizon store to, to basically for them to tell me what I already know, that it's just the same deal, just a different name. And maybe I can get a phone call in Bethesda, but I don't know. But, but basically, it's the same thing. So I wander into the Verizon, and I'm kind of lit up a little bit because I'm like, why am I, I already know this. this is so stupid. But now I'm here, so I'm committed. So I sign into a little thing, and it's going to be like 10 or 15 minutes. So now I'm like, I'm really irritated. i got to wait to be told what I already know for 15 minutes. So I kind of sit in the back, and I do what a lot of people do when you're sitting in a store like that. I sit down, no eye contact. I'm not waving anybody in on my phone. That's what I do on a plane, too, by the way. Or that, or you, so two, here's a little pro tip for travel if you want them to leave you alone beside you, which is not godly, but it's true. Uh, talk about aliens <laughs> or talk about Jesus, and they're the, they'll be done. They're not waving you in anymore. That, even more than Bose earphones, the noise-canceling ones, they'll, some of them will still press through that. But you start talking about aliens or start talking about Jesus, and they're, oh, never mind. <laughs> Go back to your music. But I'm not waving anybody in because I'm kind of annoyed that I'm even there, and I'm tired. I'm jet-lagged out of my mind, and it's kind of crowded. And a woman walked in the door and made a beeline for me and sat down right next to me. 
And you know it is, she sits down next to me doing this. Like, I'm not like waving her in. And so I finally look up and she says, I'm so sorry, can you help me? And I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> let me finish this email. No, I mean, I didn't do that at least, but, but she was, I noticed she had her, uh, her name tag on still from her place of employment. She had an apron on and she had a jacket on over it and she had tears in the corners of her eyes and she began to tell a story of that she had, I was in a situation where her husband was abusive and he was in jail and she was staying at a hotel. She had a place to stay with an organization here in town, but, but she was $19 short for her hotel bill for that night. And could I help her? No one would help her. And at that moment, I had, uh, I, I live in a cashless society. I don't know about you, but if the Antichrist really does that, I'm kind of ready. Uh, <laughs> not for the rest of the stuff or whatever, but I'm already... <laughs> Like, if it makes it easier to buy stuff, like, well, i got to think about that. Um, But I actually had $85 in my pocket left from my trip to Israel in cash that I never have cash. And here's the thing. Because Dale begat Lois and Lois begat Darren in a town in the middle of nowhere, I knew what it was like to not have any money on Christmas. She wasn't even asking for Christmas money. She's just looking for $19 to pay her hotel in a hotel room that wasn't that nice in a part of town that was, like, fascinatingly bad. So I gave her the last, and this isn't, I hope you don't feel this is a by the way. I'm not looking for anything. This was just a Jesus moment and a point to tell you that because of that, I also thought, well, I know this lady's not going to have any money for Christmas and she's probably already had the talk, the talk that my mom had with me. Things are tight this year, honey. We're not going to have anything this year. We're not going to have Christmas. You're not going to get your Sony Walkman. So we we, we gave her some money this year to go to buy Christmas gifts. She stopped by here, picked up a check, and went straight to uh, Toys R Us. Because Lois begat Darren in that situation, God had uniquely positioned me to be a yes to the prayers of her children. I don't know if we'll ever see her again, and it's okay. He gave us a yes here because, I don't know if you know this, but every, it seems like every day, Mo has to handle most of these. Someone's knocking on that door, looking for help, and probably 70% of them uh, are just people working the system. But 30% aren't, and so how do you know the difference? And the truth is, is because of our situation here, I can smell, my BS meter is pretty high. And it wasn't peaking at all with her. (laughs) The BS meter wasn't registering. It was like she's telling me the truth, and I knew it. Because that moment, I was the answer to that prayer for that mama, those children, and... Mary was an answer to the prayer. And I wonder what, what answer to prayer you are for somebody right now. Because you are uniquely positioned to be something for somebody that if you don't do it, there's nobody standing in line behind you. You are wired and you are crafted and you are created and, and your experiences, uh, Paul speaks of it in 1 Corinthians, that the way in which you were ministered to, some of you that have maybe battled with addiction, you have a very specific and a very unique opportunity to minister to someone who is, because it's the pain you were ministered to in. One of the greatest, I think, ministries on the planet right now are women who have had abortions, who now have the opportunity to help others to find peace in that. And it's something that it's, they are uniquely 
uniquely gifted and ministered to in that area. What prayer could you be the answer to this Christmas for somebody? Uniquely created to be that answer for them. And as I thought about that, what I realized was that Mary was uniquely created, but she had a God dream that she didn't even know that she had. And my point was, as I was chewing on that, was like, uh, this church thing that we're doing right here, I didn't have this dream. This was God's dream. You know, David Whetstone, who's so good to see you, man, is with us this morning. He's usually jet-setting around the world somewhere. But you can remember back in those days, like, I didn't want this to be a church. I had no desire for that. It wasn't my dream. It was God's dream. But a God-appointed dream needs a God-anointed team. Because if it's a God dream, I truly believe it's not one you can do by yourself. Mary couldn't. Shepherds came. Her team. Why on earth were shepherds? And I know there's a lot made about the fact that it was shepherds and, and God was, and I believe all that's true. Speaking to a class of people, he wasn't going to the rich and powerful. He was going to the poor and the powerless and preaching. I believe all of that. But if you needed security, let me tell you who you go to. Remember what David did with a bear and a, a, a shepherd? They could work a sling like nobody's business. It was like a modern-day gunslinger. They were unafraid. They were scrappy. And if you needed to protect the king of all the universe, born as a baby, bring some shepherds to town. They were not screwing around. She would need, she's a teenager, I'm pregnant. She couldn't Google anything. You guys remember, I don't know if you know this or some of you, there was a point, Rocco, when you were like this little, I know that's, you're like this big now, but there's a point where you were handed to your daddy and it's like, well, well now what do I do? <laughs> I mean, the first, you know, River's older, is the first time you rolled home. I remember I rolled home with Maddie. We got her in a car seat and I don't know if it was the first time we brought her home, but it was the first time we brought her home. We walk in the house, and I turn around, and I'm like, oh, crap, I left her outside. Like, she was, <laughs> I left the car seat outside. I forgot her because I didn't know what to do. And you know, I mean, if you haven't done this, but a lot of times in the hospitals, like, the nurse will change shifts, and so does the advice you get. Oh, what you need to do is get them one of these things that puts them on their side and it wedges them in there in a cheese wedge. And then the next nurse comes in the next shift going, oh, God, why would you do that? You'll kill them. And you can't, you know. I don't know. She sends Mary to her cousin Elizabeth, who was much older and who was six months further down the line pregnant with her baby. During her first trimester, Mary had people there in her team that could help her to figure this stuff out. And what Mary and Joseph didn't know, what they couldn't have known, was that at some point they're going to have to escape. They're going to have to go to Egypt. They're poor and they're broke, but God would send, we call them Magi, 800 miles east of there, a place called Babylon. You remember who else was mentioned alongside of Magi and wise men in the scriptures? Remember Daniel? who prophesied of a Messiah that was to come and who probably left those writings behind in Babylon, they would have known. They don't know why, but they're looking for that because he said that was coming. Our great magi sent us. And they brought frankincense and myrrh, brought some of that home for Shannon to send our house from Israel. But they also brought something I did not bring home from Israel, gold. I know, right? 
If you're going to need to send the God of the universe to send his baby, his child, to be protected through paths that shepherds could have known, but they're going to need to be financed to keep this baby alive. She had a God-anointed team surround the God-anointed dream. And here we are today. And I thought back on this thing we call conduit. Way, way back. I mean, back before, I mean, Justin, you and Hannah were there. You weren't even Justin and Hannah yet. We were this little Bible study. Craig and Bethany. You weren't Craig and Bethany yet? I just, all we were doing was a Bible study. I didn't know. And there was a point where this went from a Bible study to, okay, well, we'll call it, we'll call it a mission now, and we're going to help some kids in Haiti. That was about as much thought as we put into it, and so much thought that on our MySpace page, there was a, we had a little saying that we're not a church, we just act like one. Because people kept saying, well, are you a church? I'm like, no, I have a job. Like, I have a company. I have employees. Like, we, I got stuff to do. We're not a church. I thought a church would ruin it. But over time, it was a point where Shannon and I had to look each other in the eye and say, well, maybe, the, huh, maybe, Maybe, maybe a bunch of Jesus people getting together, acting like Jesus and doing Jesus stuff actually as a church. And it was terrifying. And our reputation was, I was so, I was from such a, it wasn't necessarily even a good place in my heart. You know, we drive around and see all the signs for churches in Nashville and say out loud, good Lord, do we need another new church in Nashville? I said that stuff out loud to other people. And now I'm going to have to put a little sign down by the road and be one of those. But God had a, a dream that I didn't even know that I had. And the truth is, is that from that saying yes, that I couldn't, we just couldn't do it by ourselves. We just couldn't. And so God brought along people. He brought along shepherds that were you know, uh, the other thing that the shepherds did was, I don't know if you've ever been called to do something by God, it's kind of lonely, especially in those early days. Shepherds were there, just Mary and Joseph knew they weren't alone. They didn't bring anything. They didn't give any money. But they were there. And in those early days, we were all like trying to figure it out together, it felt like, and God just started doing crazy stuff. And the church was born, and then the team began to form. And I'm not just speaking of staff and elders. Of course, that's part of it. But you know, I look around this room and see TJ and Amy and see that God brought them along at just the right point for us. Not for my dream, because I promise you it wasn't mine, but they, God gave, in the same way he gave Imagi as the dream, he gave the shepherds, he gave Mary and Joseph, he gave... Each people, uh, person here that's been a part of this is because he's given you a dream that happens to align with what he's doing here at Conduit. And TJ and Amy came at just the right point and helped rescue the books and make stuff start making sense. There was a point where just a couple years in when we're leading trips uh, overseas and we got a church here and I'm literally, I'm, I'm recognizing this is not sustainable. But God gave David and Jaina a dream that matches the conduit dream. And they, David now leads those journeys and Jaina handles it. It's a, there's a lot of stuff happening that you don't even see because they're doing so good that you don't see it. Because God gave them a dream.
Jim and Donna came along. Jim is in Atlanta today at a baseball game, football. <laughs> Seemed like it'd be baseball, but it's January, February, December. I don't know what day it is. You'd think the jet lag would have worn off by now, Phyllis, but it's not. They said yes to a dream, and now for the past seven years, the youth of our congregation, the war against the, the cultural war against teenagers is being battled by Jim and Donna Henderson because they said yes. The stakes were incredibly high. They could have said no, and I... There was nobody standing in line behind them. When Becca came along, our children, we had just uh, had a shift in the, and we had a, this giant hole in our kids' ministry, which had been this giant, huge plus, because it was run by Jim and Donna. Uh, everybody loved it. You know, we were, we were always real super mindful of people not overextending yourselves. You know, sacrificing your family on the altar of ministry is completely unacceptable. He didn't ask for that. So we... I asked Jim and Donna, hey, pray about it. Which one do you feel like God is leading you to? And I was hoping they were going to say uh, children because that's a really hard nut to crack. And we're like, oh. But they felt the call for youth. And I'm like, okay, and my youth, my kids have been a huge benefactor of that. But we were like, we were all just sort of trying to figure it out on our own, Shannon and me and everybody. But then along comes Becca, and she said yes. And every Sunday, seeds are planted in the hearts of our children that the word of God that will grow over time because Becca said yes, and not just Becca, but so many, and I almost don't want to start saying names because I will, I'll start missing people. But if you're part of that kid's ministry and you're part of investing in that K through five age group right now, you know who you are. You said yes when the Lord said, I, I want you to do this. Keith sits back there every day. And you, the, I'm telling you, I'm to tell you the worst, the only worst job than Keith's would be a monitor guy if we have that. But the second worst job, by default, yours. Because you know how it is. When the microphone doesn't work, what do you do? <laughs> Could possibly be that the guy up front doesn't know what he's doing. It has to be. You know what? One of the, the stories, it might be some of your stories of how you found this church. I drove by. I saw the sign. I listened to the podcast a couple of times, forwarded it to my wife, and then we visited. You know who records those podcasts every week? Keith. He said yes to a dream. He plays this. One chain broken in a 400-link chain means the chain is broken. Keith mixes this, and he's, you know, it's, if it's too loud or it's not loud enough. It's seriously the worst job in the church. But he does it faithfully and loyally, and every week that thing is recorded, and every, the, the word of God goes around the nations, but it goes right here into our town. And then what happens is they say, well, we'll go check it out then. And if you've been around for more than two years, you know that this place resembled a 1987 nursing home chapel. <laughs> and smelled about the same. Remember that about August? It just the funk of smell would come in and But somebody walks in now and the, the story continues. And I walked in, and it just felt like home in here. Someone, the best quote I've heard was, it felt like the building gave me a hug. Right? We Chip and joanna this thing, man. Yeah, there'll be shiplap on this wall. No. My point being, 
I didn't do this. My friend of mine, Charlie, who pastors up the road here, challenged me once. He said, you know, you can be a church where you can just have people come that think like you think already. Or do you want to be a church where you can make people feel welcome and comfortable and therefore you can keep them long enough to challenge them to think like you think? And before, with those $10 folding chairs in the 1987 nursing home chapel, somebody walk in and they just walk right back out. I mean, you know, I remember Brandon and Jennifer, you said you guys pulled in the parking lot going, whoa, what, what is this? This is the church we heard about? <laughs> I get it. But Shannon said yes. And a bunch of you guys said yes. I mean, Holly, I'm trying to, who else has been in here that's been a part of that? Uh, over the Becca, of course, the signs and the, the carpet and the design and the, this was a lot of work. And those of you that weren't in here, maybe laying down carpet or whatever, you, you know what, you were a part because every time you've given into our ministry, you're, you're paying for the gas and the troop carrier. So you were a part of it. Because I couldn't say yes to the stream. I used to have this idea that, uh, and this was a really good idea, uh, that I was going to get rich and then I would be able to go into ministry and not have to worry about money. Right? Am I right? That's a great dream. I just, the problem was I wasn't good at making, well, I was good at making money. I was just also good at losing money. So it was like, and what I didn't know till later in life now is that, you know, if you look at the, the strengths finders, that Marcus Buckingham thing, I'm a, uh, a connector is my gift. So God never intended for me to make money. He just intended for me to go out and meet people that needed it and meet people that had it. And hey, congratulations, meet each other. You don't know this, but I'll tell you this morning that you know, we had Mike Coop in here a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. One of their greatest needs, because they actually do have a, a nursing home. <laughs> Ours looked like a nursing home. Theirs is, but it was like a 1954 one that may or may not be haunted. They <laughs> introduced them to a couple people, part of our fellowship who aren't here, but you know what happened? Uh, somebody wrote them a check for $150,000. They're going to remodel the entire interior of that place to make it feel so they feel loved and feel accepted when the moment they walk into there. God never intended for me to make money, clearly. <laughs> I'm a pastor for crying out loud. But if I get to meet people, you know, the connector, he's just using the gift because I said yes and because that guy said yes and because Mike Coop said yes. And you know what happens when all that happens? People whose lives have been wrecked by addiction that is now the answer to the prayer of a grandma, someone praying for her son or her grandbaby who's fallen and she's lost him and she can't get him back. And Mike's place of hope is an answer to that prayer because we met here and because I said yes and you said yes and Shannon said yes. Guy Roberts hangs out every Wednesday night with our youth group. He didn't have to do that. but man, our kids love him, and I'm so grateful that he does. I don't know if you know this or not, but when Jeremy leads worship, you understand that it's not just, he doesn't just work for the two hours on a Sunday morning. Like, there's preparation that goes into that. He and Amber were there at the very beginning. They said yes to the dream that God put in their heart. And because of that, we have an opportunity now for, you get to know Jason, you get to know Kim, all these others have these great gifts, and he is the guy that handles all of that. He said yes, not to Darren's dream, but to God's dream. And I'm so thankful for a God-appointed 
dream and a God-anointed team just this last month. Amy, part of that team, hit the send button on $35,000. $10,000 of it is going to go to a church in Uganda, Kawalira Village. You know why? Because a guy named Pastor Lawrence had a dream. God told him to start a church. He didn't have any money. He didn't have any provision. He didn't. God sent us to Uganda. We met a guy named Alex. He introduces us to Lawrence, and we were like, whoa, 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 maybe we can help you out. But he also he speaks to a guy named Mike, and Mike writes a check for $20,000. The church is going to be built because a whole bunch of people said yes to a dream. Now, you could get overwhelmed in a hurry and think, well, it's all or nothing. Like these are, but I'm telling you, I don't think there is any such thing as a big yes or a small yes or a big no or a small no. There is only submission and rebellion. Everything that God is saying to you, is, it doesn't start with I get to decide like this checkoff list. I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. It starts with me saying whatever you want, God. Be it unto me according to your word. In our society, what we're hearing a lot these days is be it unto the word according to me, by the way. But he said, she said, her prayer was be it unto me according to your word. And when we start with that, what we understand is that he's going to bring the team that's needed. And your yes this week might just be as simple as a family member who is alone and he's just called you to say yes to be the, the ministry of presence. He might send Christina back to school and your job is to be a, the level steady hand on a steering wheel for an uncomfortable situation, just saying yes to those little, the thousand little yeses every day of discipleship. And the truth is, is not only is he going to give you the team, I think, but he's going to give you the dream itself. You know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 37 that he will give you the desires of your heart. He didn't say he will give you your desires. That's what I thought. He will give you the desires. And so the moment when you say, be it unto me according to your word, I am as convinced as ever that whatever he asks me to do isn't going to be burdensome or a bummer or not that it's going to be comfortable. Mary's life was not comfortable. Mary would love this boy and she would be there on the day when he was unjustly accused and when he was executed unfairly and brutally. She, it wasn't that it was going to be easy. But you can go through, we don't have time this morning, you can go through and read the Magnificat, the prayer of Mary. She wasn't mad about it. It became, his dream became her dream. And I think that this morning, can we worship a little bit longer? I bet that in some of your hearts that God, you know the dream that you have because you know that it's a God dream. And maybe you felt overwhelmed by it. Maybe you felt burdened by it. But maybe today, instead of trying to figure out, because you notice Mary didn't know how it was going to work. She didn't figure it out. She just said yes. Maybe today you're just saying yes. Just yes. And I know that as we sing, we're going to sing these words, I surrender all. And as I was singing in first service, I'm like, that's actually not true. I didn't, I'm not surrendering all. I'm surrendering most. But I was encouraged when I was reminded of Peter in John chapter 21. 
Jesus had resurrected. And Peter, who had blown it big time, went back to what he knew, which was fishing. You remember this story? It's, all, it's the security and the safety of what he knew. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go fishing. That's what I know. And Jesus finds Peter that day. We stood there on the Sea of Galilee in the spot where they believed that it was. And he called out to Peter and called, hey, throw your net on the other side. And they did. And, you know, remember they, all this fish so much that they couldn't even hold it. Really felt like God spoke to me in that moment, even thinking that through, that my, I feel like I'm always want, trying to hold all this stuff together. And the fact is, is that the net's going to be so big, you can't hold it together anyway. So just let Jesus hold it together. And so Peter, letting Jesus hold it together, went Forrest Gump on it and just jumped right into the water and swam to shore. And Jesus tells him, yeah, by the way, what was Jesus cooking on the shore? Fish. The thing that Peter had spent all night trying to find on his own out there someplace else, Jesus had it right there. But the point was is that Peter had already been given a new name. He'd already been given a new identity a couple years early. And he kept going back to Simon, kept going back to this. And Jesus asked him that day, do you love me, Peter? And Peter said, yes, I love you. And what did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. And he asked him again, do you love me? And he said, yes, I do. You know I do. Feed my sheep. And he asked him again. He's like, Lord, why do you keep asking me that? That's a legitimate question, isn't it? Why do you keep, you know. But in the Greek language, the language that Peter would have spoke, Jesus said, do you agape, love me? Do you surrender all? And Peter said, I, I, I friendship love you. I buddy, you're my friend. So what Peter is saying, do you, do you love me? I, I kind of do. And Jesus, he wasn't angry at him. He, did, he just, it was like he's saying, okay, I can work with this. And you know why, I think? Because for the first time in Peter's life, he was speaking the truth. Wasn't that long earlier, Peter's like, I'll die for you. Are you kidding me? If everybody else leaves you, I won't leave lying through his teeth, but for the first time in his life, maybe, Peter was saying, this is all I've got. Why do you keep asking? I know. This is it. And I think on that day, Peter took the new name that God had given him because Jesus says, okay, I can work with that. Those honest to God prayers of, this is all I've got. I'm giving you all that I can right now. He even told Peter, look, you're going to die. And what is Peter's first response? But what about him? <laughs> what about John? Why does, why does he not have to get dead? But church history teaches us that Peter would eventually surrender all, but it started with surrendering the first and that's all I'm asking of us this morning. Is Mary said, be it unto me according to your word. For you to say that, just be it unto me according to your word. And, and you might squirm and you might, because Shannon knows this. I mean, I, this has not been a bed of roses for us. And there have been days I'm mad about it. And, but I feel like one of the things that I did in Israel on the Sea of Galilee was. Was to finally own it.
want to be a pastor. People ask me what I do on a plane. I lie sometimes. <laughs> it's not a lie. I'm a president of an mission. I'm a president of a nonprofit, which is technically true. But someone asked me on the flight back, what do you do? And I said, for the first time, I'm a pastor. So Jesus, would you work with that this morning? <laughs> would you work with us where we are? Some of us, it's just one step. That's all I got. I can give you that. Some of us are a little further. We've been at this a little longer. We want to give you all of it this morning. All that we have to give, that we can muster the strength. Just being as honest as we can, we're giving it to you. with confidence and give it to Jesus. Give it all. Be it unto me. In those few verses early when the angel appeared to Mary, what did the angel say? You are blessed and you are highly favored. By the way, not after she obeyed, but before. She obeyed because of his love, not to get his love. The word that was used there for highly favored Karatau is only used, is only other, one other place in the New Testament, one other person was only ever referred to as blessed, highly favored, and accepted. One person, Mary, and Ephesians 1, 6, you. You are blessed and highly favored, whether or not you obey him, whether or not you feed his sheep. You're blessed and you're highly favored just because you believed and I believe as we come to the table this morning of communion, there's a chance to be reminded of how blessed and highly favored we are and how chosen and loved. You're, you are blessed, you're highly favored. Phyllis, you're blessed, you're loved, you're accepted, you're highly favored. Whether or not you obeyed. And because of that, how could we do anything else but say, be unto me according to your word? The God of the whole entire universe broke through the millennia to become man, to be finite among you, and he wasn't doing it to try to become your consultant. It's because he loved you, and he still does. And so as we're worshiping, as you're singing, some of you, maybe the Lord's going to speak to you, just write it down, don't forget it. What, what is it you need to say yes to? Is it a family member? Or is it a financial thing? Is it a job? Is it What do I need to say yes to? Come to the table and be reminded of the goodness of God and saying yes. There will be offering buckets come at some point and maybe you were thinking, oh, i got to make my last year, uh, get my tax deduction. For Forget all that. Maybe the Lord's just speaking to you and saying, yeah, I want to, this is part, I need to say yes to this today to help send more missionaries into the world, to help put more gas in the tank for the troop carrier. We, I, I don't know what it is. 
I shouldn't even probably give you ideas because the Holy Spirit will speak super clear to you this morning. I believe it with all of my heart. So would you stand to your feet?